and welcome. In today's episode, I am reading Neville Goddard's lecture from 1965 titled Shared Experiences. Neville tells his audience tonight's subject is shared experiences. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he tells them that everyone who is taught the word shares all good things with him who teaches. Verse 6-6. Paul was not asking for material gifts, for he said in one of his letters, I have paid for every meal that I have taken, and I have worked day and night. He who will not work, let him not eat. That was Paul's philosophy. He was not asking for anything that was material in this world, but he did ask for their prayers, for he knew the efficacy of prayer. Paul never placed himself upon a pedestal, as if he had no need of spiritual help from his converts. He knew the depth of his soul was one with the depth of the soul of everyone. And those that he converted to this way of thinking, for he found the true Christ, not a man after the flesh, he found the creative power and wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians one twenty four. That was the only Christ that Paul ever recognized. He identified it not in his words, but believe me, he identified it with his own wonderful human imagination. Your own wonderful human imagination is Christ Jesus, the power and wisdom of God. So that was the being of whom he spoke. He knew that the depth was, inf that the depth was infinite and it could reveal itself through you one that he converted to this great thinking. He asked you to share with him your visions. It would add to that which was coming through him and would make the knowledge of Christ Jesus all the greater, so he could tell it in his lessons, in his wonderful letters. Last October, when I opened here after my trip east, I asked you to share with me your experiences, whether it be on this level or a deeper level, but all your experiences that I, in turn, may share them from this platform with everyone who's here and encourage them to apply themselves all the more diligently to the application of this wonderful principle. Well, many months ago, a friend of mine, who's here tonight, shared with me an experience of his. He rose early one morning and I, in a semi-sleep and went to his bedroom window and looked out over the entire city. He's quite high in the hills. In this semi-sleep state, the outline of the buildings became fuzzy, and all the buildings seemed to mingle and diffuse. And in a strange way, there was a certain intensity as he looked. As it increased, they all kept. They became fused, and yet they kept their identity. But this strange thing that seemed so dead when you first saw it, it turned into a pulsing, living life. Then, from life, the intensity continued. As it increased, it turned into joy. And then it still increased and turned into love. And the whole vast city that a moment before was simply dead, inanimate object, buildings, fences, streets, the cobblestones in his patio below, all became alive, pulsing, throbbing life. Then, at a greater intensity, joy, and at a still greater intensity, love. 
Then, said he, beyond this point, Neville, there are not words to describe it. I can't describe that point. They're beyond that point. That happened several months ago. About a week and a half ago, this experience repeated itself in detail. So a week ago, last Sunday, there were five of us in the park. We went over to the valley for dinner, a heavenly dinner, and from there off to the Shrine Auditorium to see the Russian dancers. So the whole evening was one sheer joy. The dinner, the conversation, the party of five, and then the Russian dancers. Everything was perfect. On the way out, he said to me in a light way, reminding me that this thing had repeated itself. He said, am I retrogressing? For here I went back and had a complete repetition of that experience. So I reminded him of the Bible in the 41st chapter of Genesis, as we are told that if a vision or a dream repeats itself, if it doubles itself, that it means the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Verse 32. So I said, whatever, or whatever is the significance, the true significance of this doubling of the vision, it will shortly come to pass. And so last Friday night he gave me a letter, and you listen to it carefully. I may not complete it. All the details, it's a perfectly marvelous experience. This is his answer. He said, I went to bed. This was the day he wrote the letter. So it happened the night before in the wee hours of the morning that he wrote the letter. For he said in his letter to me, Last night as I retired, I said to myself, Who am I? Then I said, I am Christ. I am an awakened man. I am God. And then he was God in a certain way because this is going to come out from this picture. He is God conscious of his unlimited power. Conscious of his unlimited power. Then he said, then the dream began. Now this is all in a dream. Prior to telling the dream, he said, I want you to bear, or I want you to bear this in mind, that the whole thing unfolded in an order of beautiful love, sheer love. The whole thing unfolded in that order. I did not hear a voice, but I felt that the depth of my being was speaking to me through some form of mental telepathy. And this is what it was saying to me. When you use your imagination for another, use it as you use it when you write a story. Just as you write a story, use it in the same manner. Now, said he to me, when I dramatize the story, I write it. I must play all the parts. When I write a love scene between two characters, I must assume both characters and make love to myself. Yes, I slap my own face if the script calls for it. I must feel every character and its reactions to the situation. I must think not of the character. I must think from the character. So if to help another through the use of my imagination, and I must use the same technique as I use when I write a story, well then, I must, uh, or I must think from them. I must become that character. In every little detail, I must become it, with one exception. When I write a story, I must have an eye on the audience and theatrical values. But in becoming a character that I would help, my only consideration must be absolute reality. No theatrical values, no audience, 
actual reality of that which I want to live. So, when I assume that character, I must possess all the qualities that I set out for them to possess. So with this in mind, in my dream, all this is taking place in dream, I said to myself, now I will experiment. The first one that came before my mind was with us at the dinner party and at the great dance festival. So I brought her before, I brought her before my mind's eye and I took off the being that I am. I must call him by his name. He'll forgive me for this. But the drama calls for it, as you will see in the second one, that he helped. So I'll call him by his first name. His name is Bob. You do not know the lady of whom I speak tonight, so I will call her not to change the pattern of the mood that possesses me. I'll call her by her name. Her name is Beth. He said, I brought Beth. I took off the being that I am. I took off Bob completely. I abandoned Bob. And then I put on the form of Beth. I put on her clothes. I put on everything, and I was Beth. I became Beth. Then I looked into the mirror, and I said, You are beautiful. Now, he said, we must forgive her vanity. I told myself, For he is so much Beth, it is Beth speaking, not not him putting on and playing the part. He is Beth declaring that she is beautiful. Then, he said, I have never worn skirts, never worn a lady's dress, and so it seemed a little bit tight, so I had to shorten my stride as I walked about as Beth. Dressed as Beth would be dressed. Then I skipped out of the house to the street where a car was waiting for all the things I wanted for Beth, all the lovely things. The most immediate and practical would be a new car. That's the most immediate, the most practical. So I skipped out onto the street, go into this lovely new car, put the top down, and then drove off. The only thing that seemed to me unnatural was the high heel on the accelerator. I couldn't quite get that feel. I've never worn high heels, and that did seem a little bit unnatural. But nevertheless, I drove the car with the wind blowing in my face and blowing my hair. It was bad. Then I drew up to the corner to the curb and parked the car. Then I got out of that body, leaving the body there, got into my body, Bob, got on the sidewalk, seeing Beth in the car at the wheel, and she looked at me with the most glorious smile. And that was the end of that scene. Then I turned to Eddie. Eddie is a handyman, washes his car, takes care of all the garden, painting, and, and does odd jobs for him. In this scene, Eddie says something that he has said to me before, not in a dream. He has said it to me in this waking world of ours here. He said to me, Mr. Crutcher, I'm considering. Then he used this strange word of his, a postulation. Mr. Crutcher, I'm considering a postulation. A very pompous manner, which he said before in his waking state. Then he said, I am gimpy. I am lame and you are my crutcher. Well, that was simply a repetition of what he had said in this world to his friend of mine, or to this friend of mine. Then he said, I took off this body of Bob and I put on Eddie's body, even to his clothes. That's quite a concession if you heard him describe the filthy condition of the man's clothes in the past. But he put on everything to make it natural, the clothes, the form and the limp. 
but now instead of limping i walk back and forth over that yard without a limp at the end of walking back and forth without limping i stomped my feet several times to get the absolute reality of the unlimp state and then i got out of the body of eddie and i saw eddie walk back and forth without limping everything was perfect and then he said i took person after person in the same manner but in each case i retained my own mind the body i assumed the personality i assumed the mask i assumed but i retained my own mind thinking from my mind through their mask then as i did it to all the people that came into uh he only mentioned these two case histories but he said person after person he did then as the dream came to an end the voice appeared for the first time it said tell this to neville he said there or heretofore whenever the bo the voice addressed me it was always a very powerful authoritative voice this time it was a sweet gentle beautiful loving voice then he concludes i do not say i know the meaning of this dream i only know that in the dream it worked i do not know if the technique is practical i haven't tried it on this conscious level but in the dream it worked it may be that the depth of my own being was trying to tell me of the oneness of god that it is god who plays all the parts it may be but undoubtedly in a couple of days it will reveal itself now he shared with me this great i call it fantastic gift <clears throat> that's a kind of a gift that paul was asking for so the same core of man operates in all <clears throat> god only acts and is in existing beings or men let us to him who only is and who walks among us give decision blake now said he bring forth all your fires if this is true does it really matter bring on all your fires i haven't spoken to my friend since he gave me the letter friday night i can only tell him i'm thrilled beyond measure it's something he must take seriously and you must take seriously and the speaker seriously if we do it in dream and it works perfectly this is the more difficult level for here is a man in his middle 50s i mean eddie while well, eddie has had a physical limitation all of his life no doctor would dream of suggesting that any operation could give him a normal walk no one could it is now a fixed physical condition and that's fixed in his mind fixed in the medical world's mind <clears throat> fixed in all i will say to him it worked in that depth let us now put all efforts forth to make it work on this level and make a conscious effort for our own satisfaction as he said for this man who is now born blind <clears throat> was he born blind because he sinned or his parents sinned he said neither this man nor his parents but that the works of god may be made manifest john 9 3 so he exercised a power unknown to man on this level so you and i have been revealed now through our friend this technique by which god makes all things possible so you take a man take a woman and without their knowledge <clears throat> without their consent if you can assume that personality assume their mask assume everything about them and as you assume it 
excuse me, then grant it to yourself as that being what you or what you want for that being. So you think yourself right into the situation of the seeming other and they do for them what they are at the moment because of a lack uh, of knowledge or lack of ability or lack of faith <clears throat> do for them what they are incapable of doing for themselves. So are we not in Paul's letters bear one another's burdens and so fulfill fulfill the law of Christ Galatians 6 2 that's bearing one another's burdens. He takes Beth, who could use a car. She needs a car instead of depending on someone who works in the place to take her home or to bring her there or to get um, there sometimes late because of transportation. She needs a car. So without her knowledge, he did it. I'm convinced that that depth <clears throat> will bring it to the surface. I see it in other ways, but that technique was revealed to him from the depth of his soul. Now, bear in mind, the Bible only recognizes one source of dreams, <clears throat> only one source of visions. All dreams and visions proceed from God, Numbers twelve six. So this was a direct communication with God. God was revealing to him <clears throat> the one who has had the experience in writing stories, for these are stories. A woman needs a car and she has nowhere to get one dollar to buy the car. So if he wrote such a story for a play... He would have to put himself into the character of the one that he did in the depth of his dream. <clears throat> Excuse me, he does it on this level, and he is better qualified than most people because he writes stories. As he said to me in his letter, to write a story, I must assume all the characters. I can't think of a character. I must think from the character. It's very definite. Putting himself into the character, he even makes love to himself male and female, even to the slap on his face if the script calls for it. So no matter what he writes, he has to make all the characters only one little concession that he made. He cannot write for the screen, which he does, <clears throat> without thinking in terms of an audience reaction, that theatrical value. But in this, he isn't writing for any audience participation or audience reaction. He's writing only for absolute reality. For the reality of the thing, the car is the fact, she has the car, and the top goes down and she just takes off in the car. And then he, who had all these years a limp, and now calls himself Gimpy and calls his benefactor my crutcher, because often he has to be the crutcher to help him out a little, uh, out of a little difficulty when money was short, or this was short or something else. So here is a gift to us tonight. Something you will not find in a book, you will not find it, no matter where you go. It was a communication between God and the one who wrote me that letter. So with that, tonight take it seriously, and even if it takes you a year to accomplish that technique of putting yourself into another, I only know in my own experiment with it, my nephew was dying of cancer. It was terminal. <clears throat> he was only 17. He was in Barbados, 2,000 miles away from me, where I lived in New York City. One day, was a Monday, we were expecting a friend for the cocktail hour. Well, she came and I wasn't there. I simply went to my bedroom, <clears throat> closed the door, got on my bed, and assumed that I was in Barbados, on the bed where I felt my nephew would be. I felt my sister come through the door, 
and that she stopped at the door and she was startled to see not her son my nephew billy but to see her brother neville i thought that that would encourage her to have faith for she knew what i taught what i believed she didn't believe it but she knew what i believed so i thought if she could see me instead of seeing her own son <clears throat> it might in some way lift her faith and so i got into that mood and put myself on that bed in my imagination i thought of my apartment in new york city two thousand miles to the northwest of me and then i saw my sister daphne come through the door in my mind's eye she was a little bit startled she came over and just simply looked at me and i remained on the bed she couldn't see her own son she could only see her brother <clears throat> then i broke the spell and came out and joined this friend of ours who came for cocktails so when i came out she said to me neville you seem so heavy in spirit and you usually are so gay you you light up when you come into the room and now you seem so heavy what's wrong so i told her what i had just done that i'd received word that there was no cure he was riddled with cancer at the age of 17 and the doctor said you catch it when you're young it's goodbye that you may catch it when you're in the advanced years and never die of it because you're not building tissue anymore just simply holding on but when you are building rapidly as children do rapidly then if that's what you're going to do you're going to do it all over your body so that was the verdict given by the doctors and they gave my family no hope well he was 17 and he was riddled all over so my sister wrote me and eight days later i got the letter as i opened the letter <clears throat> i read it and then my wife read it and this lady happened to be there also at the same time i told her what i had done eight days before and this is my sister's letter she said neville i don't understand this but today it's dated the very day on monday today i went into billy's room and as i entered instead of seeing billy on the bed i saw you i came over and looked at what should be billy and i could not see billy i could only see you you were on the bed and not my son billy and so i don't understand it and she not believing what i teach <clears throat> she thought it meant that i would be the next to go she thought well now this is simply a vision and billy's going to die he can't live and therefore if neville is the one who's taking his place he'll be the one to go next i mean that's the interpretation she gave to my experiment well it didn't work in my own case i only succeeded in letting her see me billy did not recover i did not assume that i was billy i only assumed that i was on the bed in place of billy to encourage my sister's faith so i cannot say in this case that it failed i did not assume that i was billy and did for billy what my friend did for eddie he assumed he was eddie and walked up and down in that yard of his without a limp then he got out of eddie's body allowed eddie once more to possess it and the eddie and then eddie walked in his vision without a limp now whether eddie tomorrow or within the year walks without a limp or not i say he has revealed to us what god wants everyone within <clears throat> shout on my voice to put to the test this is the extreme after all this is the limit of contraction things are more amendable in dream than they are here but he fortunately was in control though it was a dream he was in control in a very conscious way he knew what he was doing though it was all a dream but in all that he did he did in love as he said in his letter when i took off this form of mine 
and assumed the form <coughs> excuse me of beth and her clothes that was certainly an invasion of privacy but i'm convinced that she will forgive me because the whole thing was done in love he asked nothing for the gift he gave or he gave her of a new car and the joy he gave her for such possession that was a complete gift that's grace unearned unmerited so let everyone here try it it costs us nothing and if that is a revelation from god what other voice should he listen to for it came to him in a vivid vivid what i would call waking dream but it was a dream <clears throat> at the very end the voice that came or the voice that came in for the first time and the entire dream said tell this to neville so i know what paul meant when he asked those that he taught the word uh, to share with him all good things had he enclosed in a letter to me telling me of some personal success in his writing where he made a fortune beyond what he dreamed of making and enclosed in the letter to me a large fat check it could not be the joy that i got friday night when i read that letter i don't consider any sum of money equal to such a letter <clears throat> i take that with me you could be out of money i'm a spendthrift anyway i'd spend it but i can't spend this i can't give this away so i'd lose possession of it i can share it so you're told buy the truth but sell it not for when you sell something you lose possession of it well i can't if i talk about this which i will from now till the end of time i will share with others but i can't sell it if you came to my meetings as you must pay more in new york city because i live uh or lived in hotels there <clears throat> so i charged three dollars in new york so you paid three dollars and when you came to my meetings in new york city or to here or to in san francisco you don't buy what i tell you because i'm sharing it i keep it so you haven't bought it no matter what i charge i can't sell it so if i put any price on it and you're willing to pay for it don't say you bought the truth i share it with you because if i sold it well then i would lose possession of it far from losing possession of it it increases in value and increases in understanding in me as i talk about it so here he shared with me knowing that i would share with you so take this to heart and tonight experiment if the mind isn't that disciplined that you can actually divorce yourself from what you feel yourself uh, to be and put on the garment of another that you want to help try it over and over until you can do it now there's a story told by the late alexis carroll maybe he had this technique not carroll for he said he did not know what the man did but he was treating a cancer uh, of the forearm for six months he treated this cancer with radium and he could take it no more a weird strange looking character came into his laboratory and announced that he knew how to pray well carol was a very devout catholic and carol said all right if you know how to pray here is a case and see what you can do with this case the man sat in the place not in close proximity he sat in the corner and the patient was in the room where he had been treated 
the man throws himself into what appeared to Carol to be a trance, a self-imposed trance. And while he was in this trance, Carol said in his verbal and written confession that this cancer of the forearm that he had treated medically for six months not only disappeared, but it left no trace of ever having been present. Had I not written the medical history of the case, I would doubt my own senses. Did that man, in putting himself into a state similar to sleep, but a controlled sleep, assume the body of this man, and then felt the absence of a cancer? If he did, Carroll did not reveal it in his written statement. But he did reveal the statement. When the medical world heard of it, they said, well, after all, Carroll was a great scientist, but now he's advanced in years, and we must take into consider consideration his advanced years and still love him and respect him for what he has already contributed to science. But we all become, in time, senile. They couldn't justify it, so they had to say the poor man now is a little bit senile. He didn't really see that which is proven to be cancer disappear while a man sits in a deep, deep trance. Well, maybe that's what the man did. I don't know. But this revelation given to my friend is so fantastic, I really am all lifted up by it. So, I'm going to ask everyone here to try this technique. We're giving you many techniques, and they work, many of them. Well, this to me seems a far deeper, a far greater way of approaching a difficult problem. That when you become the being, without loss of your own mind, your mind is actually thinking from but through the mask of the seeming other. But you put on the other, and then, as he said, then I healed them and fulfilled their desire. Now, he said, I do not know whether it is a technique that is practical on this level. I have not yet experimented. But it did work in the dream. So I ask everyone here to believe it and try it, don't because it doesn't make sense not try it. If it works, does it really matter what the whole vast world thinks? If it works? If there is evidence for a thing, does it really matter? I think, or what you, does it really matter what I think or what you think or what the world thinks? So this man comes in and he's unkept. He's not well put together, but he knows how to pray. Well, what is the word prayer in scripture? Look it up in this wonderful concordance of James Strong, an exhaustive concordance. It means motion towards, ascension to, nearness at, at or in the vicinity of. Well, how can you get any nearer than to put on the body of one? How could you get any nearer than to put on the body, but to put on the clothes that she would wear? And when you take an opposite sex, that's really going some way. Here is a man, and he puts on the opposite sex and feels quite natural in it, even to looking into the mirror and saying, you're beautiful, and then saying a little aside, I will forgive her for her vanity, I told myself, said he, but he was speaking through this lady. She was to him beautiful. Then in time, no one will be unclean in your eyes. If you prove this technique, would it really matter if you're leprous? Would it really matter what they were? You'd put it on and then feel the health that you desire for them. And do for them what at their present level of understanding they are incapable of doing for themselves. 
So I'm asking everyone here to try it. Try it, and then above all things, share with me. I'm not asking for money. I charge here, and I charge for my books. I do not charge for interviews. I've never charged for interviews. I don't care if others do. Let them charge perfectly all right. <clears throat> Let them do exactly what they want. I simply charge when people come to a meeting because I'm charged for the hall. When it rains and no one comes, they don't say, well, last night, just a few. I paid the same thing. And so that's what I charge. But I don't charge for other times that I give. But I would ask everyone who comes here to share with me whatever you discover in the use of God's creative power and his wisdom, which is called Jesus Christ. I tell you that Jesus Christ is your own wonderful human imagination. So you will discover Christ to be sent so that you discover the secret of imagining. Now here's one more facet of imagining. And so if I can take this one facet, and it seems to be this night as I speak to you, one of the deepest that I've heard or that I've heard of so far, if it comes from such depths and you and I can master it from this level, there would be nothing impossible. So it takes, like all arts, it would take practice. You can't master the piano unless you practice daily. You couldn't master any instrument. You couldn't master the technique of writing unless you applied yourself. So you have to apply yourself. And the first thing you must find out is a good technique and then constant practice. For this is a technique revealed by God to the surface of his being through a friend of ours who was generous enough to share it with us. Now, let us go into the silence. All right, so there we have Neville Goddard's lecture from 1965 titled Shared Experiences. Thank you so much for joining me. I will see you guys next time. Bye now.